Hello everyone, I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. Today, I am joined by John Borland. John is the Chief Executive Officer of Perceptics Incorporated and sits on the company's board of directors. Prior to being named CEO in 2017, John served as Chief Operating Officer responsible for daily business operations, the professional services, and establishing key performance metrics to ensure customer success. As a co-founder, John plays an active role in setting strategy and direction of the Perceptic business. His track record of success led to John being promoted to CEO in 2017, where he has driven significant business growth and product investment, pivoting Perceptics to a SaaS business with a best-in-class continuous listening platform. John's passion for helping large organizations connect with their employees is demonstrated by the number and quality of customers who continue to do business with Perceptics. And of course, a fun fact, we always like to know people are human here. In his free time, John enjoys spending time on the water. I agree, I concur, John, and with family and friends or building something new in his workshop. And before I turn this over to you, John, for an official welcome, I did want to notice, I loved this. I pulled up your website and perfectly highlighted in navy blue with the white lettering, it says, put your people in focus. And I just, I really love that as the main focus of your website. So welcome, John. Glad to have you with us. Thanks, Cindy. It's great to be here today. Yeah. Thank you for your time today. So, hey, I want to dive right in. And one of the things that I'm really curious about, because engagement is such a big topic, employee surveys are such a big topic. And this term that I've heard by looking a little bit into perceptics is employee listening. So tell me, is employee listening just another word for what we used to call employee surveys? Or how would you define that? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And look, listening is all about asking questions around the issues that are most important to employees and the companies. And then not just listening, but listening well to the answers that we get. And so for most large organizations, the most efficient way to do this is via some sort of a survey methodology. But the topics in the administration of these surveys can and do, and quite frankly, should vary pretty widely. Uh, advancements in technology have greatly sped up the process of reporting for large-scale surveys and enabled organizations to collect data continuously via always-on candidate experience surveys, onboard surveys, exit surveys, and a number of different strategic survey events. And the ability to listen at speed and at scale has really greatly enabled organizations to listen to employees in times of crisis like the ones brought on by this pandemic. And so what we see is we see organizations conducting multiple types of surveys from all employee census surveys that focus on engagement, uh, the employee experience surveys, topical pulse surveys, as well as deep dive surveys on diversity, equity, inclusion, um, to the always on continuous surveys I mentioned just a moment ago. And organizations in addition to this also can listen via crowdsourcing. They can listen to 
feedback about manager and leadership development and performance through 360 or 180 feedback surveys. Leaders today need tools to do frequent, focused listening to capture a more distilled picture of what their workforce is and what impacts on larger business metrics, such as revenue and talent retention and overall customer satisfaction. And so over the years, we have learned that when it comes to employee listening, there is no one-size-fits-all approach. And organizations have really different needs across every spectrum. And it only makes sense that they should be able to adopt a process and a strategy that is uniquely designed to fit their needs. And so I would say it's important to remember that while listening is critical, it's not enough. It's not sufficient. Uh, You can't continue to ask your employees for their feedback and then never take any action to demonstrate that you've actually heard that feedback. And more importantly, that you value that feedback. And so listening is great, but taking action on what we have heard is even better. And so organizations that have done surveys for years sometimes wonder why they have declining participation. And what I would say is most often, it's not the product of cynicism and the actual feedback. It's the response gotten from those previous survey engagements. And so a couple examples come to mind. One recently uh, was some work we did for CH Robinson, which is one of the largest third-party logistics companies out there in the world with more than 15,000 employees. So before working with Perceptics, uh, this company deployed biannual engagement surveys and compiled some of their exit data. However, it was difficult to take any sort of meaningful action at a large scale because the survey was on an outdated system. And it took nearly six months to get results to accompany executives uh, and all the way down to the desk level employees and managers. So beginning with their first Perceptics survey back in 2019, we were able to take that timeline down from six months to just about one month. And the partnership has continued and they're now seeing early results beginning just days after the survey closes with more detailed data at the two week post-close event. But it's, it's not just about speed to data. It's about speed to communication. And then ultimately it's about speed to action. And so as we think about CH Robinson's initial census survey, a follow-up pulse survey we did asked two really simple questions. Did your manager share the results with you, was the first question. And then, do you believe that action will result from the survey? And as we examined the data across the different employees who said their manager had taken time to review the results, those individuals scored significantly higher in every other item around compared to people where their managers did not discuss those feedback results with them. And these findings, what they tell us and what they show us is that involving employees in the conversation and sharing results to those key experiences matter. And of course, they did move forward to design specific action plans and and had all the reinforcement to come with that. But having the conversation, and I go back to listening, listening to that feedback and taking action on that was a huge difference for them within their people experience. So much packed into that response. And I'm jotting down notes as you're chatting, John, but some of the things, and you're preaching to the choir here, Um, speed to data, speed to action, speed to communication. And you told a great story, your example story about the organization that you're working with and dropping from six months to one month. Action and communication, I agree. Like that is the foundation of us being able to move that listening forward, right? If we're not listening, if we're not taking action, if we're not communicating, it's kind of a lost issue, Um, So I love the story. Thank you for giving that example. I know our listeners always love that example. So thanks for sharing that. Now, 
as I stated, you did give an example of a company. My question is, I'm sure, I know, <laughs> looking at your website and reading a little bit about your organization, I know you've got hundreds of customers, including a large number of Fortune 100 customers and, and companies rather. So what would you say, and you've probably dabbled on this a little bit, but what would you say you've seen in terms of changes in how these organizations are approaching listening, especially since you brought it up, right? Especially since the beginning of the pandemic. What have you seen? Yeah, we've seen a lot of changes, the punchline. And it's amazing how much evolution has occurred in just the last 18 months. And so, you know, as we think about this pandemic, really creating, I would say, an inflection point in our attitudes towards work. So since, let's say, March of 2020, uh, so many of us have had to reconsider the boundaries between manager and employee, between family time and work time, between our home and our office environments. And that's just if you were lucky enough to have been even given the option to work from home. We know that millions and millions of Americans and folks all over the world never stop going into their workplace, even during the most earliest and dangerous days of the pandemic. And we're seeing a record number of those employees leaving industries right now, such as healthcare, hospitality, and retail, and many others. And what I would say today's people leaders in particular are being faced with some of the most challenging questions they've maybe faced in their career. Um, for example, questions such as, how do I support the business to ensure that performance and productivity remain high, yet be responsive to employee demands for more flexibility and, uh, in and, and how they work? How do we remain an employer of choice when employees have so many options out there in the current market? And how can I attract top talent, but how do I not only attract them, but how do I ensure they're going to stay with us for the long term? And how can an all remote or maybe a hybrid model, how is it going to impact our culture? How is it going to impact employee development and our ability to sustain a diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment? And what kind of leader do we need to be to be successful in this kind of work? And there's so many other questions along those same lines I could go on with that are being faced by leaders in this current dynamic. And what I would say is successful organizations, they're able to see that these disruptions are an opportunity to reimagine what the future of work looks like and do that in partnership with their employees, not just by focusing on policies from on high. And so what we've seen is companies launch a number of different specific topic-based surveys, such as you know, preference for remote versus uh, on-site work, concerns about returning to the workplace, impact on working parents, a uh, number of different opportunities to ask surveys such as this, and then companies that want to understand the well-being of their employees and how the company can support them. And so I'll give you another example. We'll take CVS Health as an example. They knew back at the beginning of the pandemic that they were entering a period of absolute unprecedented uncertainty within their business. And so we designed a listening program that could launch across the entire workforce within about a 24-hour period of time, really designed to identify what their people needed most across a whole range of topics. And the insights led to immediate increased access to PPE for their frontline workers, increased support for employee health and well-being, and they learned how to best support flexible work arrangements at that point in time. And I'd say beyond resource enablement, well-being and flexible work across many companies and, and many companies have rethought their approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion in light of the events back in the summer of 2020. 
So we've been honored to partner with many of those large clients in this work, and we're publishing new research on a consistent basis around things we're learning out of that topic. And then the employee value proposition, right? The EVP has become an absolute priority for many companies as they face the prospect of competing for talent in a really tight labor market right now and preventing their most talented employees from leaving the company for opportunities elsewhere out there in the marketplace. So what I hear from our customers all the time is that they want to listen differently than they have in the past, pre-pandemic, and that they have very specific challenges they're trying to solve for using their employee feedback. And so companies want to be partners in co-creating that environment that they want to work in. They really want to co-own that experience with their employees. And so what we believe is that smart, thoughtful, timely conversations with employees can deliver the feedback and ultimately the fuel that's going to enable them to power a future that works both for organizations and every individual alike in this new world that we find ourselves in today. Yeah, again, some really great highlights as you chatted there. I, I love and, and I, I'm curious, I want to ask you about how Perceptics defines engagement. But before I do that, what I'm hearing you as you're talking through, first of all, I love that you said what you're hearing from companies is they want to co-own the process and the action um, listen differently. There's different challenges. How do we work with our workforce to, you know, create action? But, you know, all of these pieces, the EVP, talking about flexibility, talking about this blend now of home life and work life and the boundaries between the manager and the employees, like all of these pieces certainly fit into what us as listeners, right? Those of us in the HR profession some of these all are line items to engagement, really. So I guess my question for you is that engagement has kind of become a catch-all word for HR leaders. So how does Perceptics define engagement? Yeah, it definitely has evolved over time. We can think back to the early days of employee satisfaction or employee commitment and employee engagement. So it has been an evolving definition. But our view is that employee engagement is one outcome of a positive employee experience. And I would say for some providers in our space, it really is the only outcome. And I think that can be misleading because I think it really is just one of the outcomes that we should be focused on. But engagement goes beyond just how employees feel about your organization. And it should take into consideration how they interact with the organization. So while engaged employees will feel valued and identify with the culture, they're also active participants, I would say, in all aspects of that company. Uh, engaged employees are willing to do more. They're willing to go above and beyond, even when no one is looking. And they truly want to do their best work because they care. They care for the company, the management, and their fellow coworkers. And so at Perceptics, we believe that employees will engage with their organization when they can anticipate achieving their own levels of success. And engaged employees will work harder and smarter and they'll advocate for the organization and more likely to stay with the organization for the long term. I would say it also delivers uh, some significant bottom line benefits. Um, and we partnered with one of our clients recently. And what we found is that disengaged employees were two and a half times more likely to voluntarily leave that organization. And so a focus on creating an engaging work environment in this example would have resulted in nearly 1,000 fewer terminations, which would have saved this company over $10 million annually. And so our analysis is also helping to lead another global retailer that we're working with to determine that 
stores, this is a retail environment, stores with higher levels of engagement had 70% higher net sales, had over 6% higher underlining operating margin improvement, and had about a 20% less shrinkage than those stores with lower engagement. So measuring engagement is just the beginning though. And while it's valuable to understand the what of engagement, for example, kind of the score or the degree, I would say it changes over time. It's more important, I would say, to understand the why behind engagement. Why is engagement improving or declining? And identifying those drivers of engagement helps us to understand the elements of an employee experience that truly do engage our employees, that pull them into the organization, uh, make them feel valued and supported so that they want to stay with us and continue to work hard. So when we understand the factors that influence engagement, we've identified what the organization is doing right. And so leaders can do more of it within that organization. Again, understanding the why helps us take that focused action and really make the difference in the overall employee experience. So another example to give you, uh, we've done work with a global company that specializes in payment system technologies. And leadership knew that they were experiencing some major issues with cross-functional communication. It really was hindering the employee's ability to do their, their best work. And they needed a lightweight solution to identify where the situation was the worst and what they can do about it. And so we designed something that allowed them to quickly isolate where the people struggled the most with communication and collaboration. And with some clever use of text analytics, we were able to identify what were the underlying frustrations in parts of the business experience that had the greatest pain within that particular organization. But again, as I said earlier, asking employees for their opinions is only the first step to engage with them, to truly create that engaging work environment. People need to feel they've not only been heard, but they've also been understood. Asking isn't enough. The organization needs to demonstrate that it was listening as well by continuing that dialogue with employees and taking actions to address those issues that matter most to them. The other thing I would say is that, you know, when action plans focus on what's most important to employees, engagement is going to improve. Uh, another example, Perceptics found that the locations of a national healthcare system that we surveyed that listened to their employees and made changes saw their engagement scores increase uh, business metrics improve, patient satisfaction went up by nearly 27%, voluntary turnover reduced, EBITDA improved by almost 100 basis points in that organization. So while engagement continues to be critical to organizations, given this current environment, it is essential that understanding the other elements of the employee experience be measured. And our objective is always to help employees and organizations thrive. That's our mission. It's been our mission for nearly 20 years, and that's what we're continuing to focus on. Uh, as an organization. Wonderful. Again, and thanks, John, so much for giving some detailed examples there. A couple of things that, you know, stood out to me earlier on in the conversation was really talking about the bottom line results of disengaged employees versus our engaged employees and how that really does have an impact. And then, you know, talking about how if we do continue to listen, and this kind of goes back to what I was sharing before, you know, if we continue to listen, if we understand what really will boost that productivity and make that person or help that person or encourage that person um, to feel part of the organization and to feel part of the bigger picture and to feel part of the strategy, 
their productivity is going to increase. And likewise, that engagement is going to be, they're going to likely be more engaged as well. So yeah, it keeps coming back to mm-hmm. listening, yep. asking the right questions, listening and taking action, communicating, keeping all of those pieces in mind as you go forward. So you mentioned just now, um, we talked a little bit about the why and how of employee listening. So are you also seeing differences in the types of questions employers are asking now compared with years past? Yeah, we certainly are uh, as this continues to evolve. And and what I'd say, it's probably no surprise, but given that many companies right now are facing uh, what has come to be known as the great resignation We're seeing a lot of interest in exit survey programs, as well as new items being added to existing exit surveys. Uh, One example, we're starting to see employers ask employees leaving the company if one of the reasons they're leaving is for a fully remote opportunity, or maybe is their decision being based on a vaccine requirement. And so similar to that, what we're reporting is a lot of changes to the candidate experience survey as well. We're seeing that consistently occur across all of our customers. And what they're seeing is more and more declined offers and really the desire to understand how do we attract talent in this new climate, in this new world we're in right now. And so the specific factors beyond uh, the prospective hiring decisions and accepting or not accepting that particular job offer. But we think there's something larger happening as well. Um, And in fact, just yesterday, we released some new data out there, a new report that we released that talks about the emerging drivers we're seeing out there in employee experience. And because we've been in this space for just about 20 years now, uh, we've done thousands of listening programs for different customers around the globe. We've got a database of over 15 million respondents across just over 500 items and over 180 countries in our database right now. And as we spent time looking at that data, we began to see some significant shifts in the factors that are impacting engagement and the overall employee experience. And I would say no surprise, those factors are being heavily influenced by the larger forces out there, such as the economy, society, and and overall public health. And what we think is that the next phase in understanding the full scope of the employee experience in and out of the workplace is changing. And what I would say is good people management, which has been a foundational element for a long time, It's becoming what I would call a ticket to entry uh, in this new employee experience uh, dimension. And the competition for talent, it has moved beyond those essential elements uh, and the organizations who will win in the future and what they're asking now. And, And what they need to know is what do employees specifically want and need now? What is that new bar for employee experience and how do I achieve it and how do I measure it? And ultimately, how do I sustain that? And so increasingly, I'd say we're seeing factors like stress management, health and well-being, inclusion and belonging, flexibility, and how and where I work. These are all having a greater impact on the employee experience. And we're seeing more and more companies express interest in evaluating their EVP and determining how to attract and retain job candidates. And so organizations, in addition to this, are also interested in evaluating the work-at-home experience to understand work-life balance and potential burnout issues. And I would say, too, companies are not only needing to have a strategy for addressing these types of issues, but they need to engage their employees to understand how do we define it and what kind of support do they expect to receive from their managers. So we've been able to do some additional innovative work really helping manage cultural shifts throughout mergers and acquisitions. 
in another case, we had a mobile computing company with thousands of employees, and they were experiencing an acquisition, which meant a huge risk of losing some of their most valuable and knowledge talent in the business. So what we did for them is we built a unique cultural assessment that gave insight around where there were the most convergence and divergence around the cultural beliefs across both these companies so they could understand and manage that. And they were able to avoid the spike in people leaving and the joint leadership of both those companies told us afterwards it was the most insightful and productive exercise in understanding their people since the close of that acquisition. Interesting. Thanks again. I love John again. Thank you so much for bringing. I didn't want to. I didn't want to cut you off. I wasn't sure if that, if that was done. But thank you again for bringing all of those examples with you. And I just want to step back. You had mentioned earlier, and this really stuck out to me. Is you made this statement? What is the new bar for employee experience? Right. So that does get to the question. Right. It gets to that point of what types of questions are we asking now compared previously? You mentioned stress management. You mentioned inclusion and belonging. You mentioned where and how I work. Right. Those are becoming more and more relevant given the the events of the last eighteen months, uh, et cetera. So thank you. I mean, these are this is great. This is really great for our listeners. I want to back us up because you had talked earlier when we were talking about defining engagement um, and we were thinking about how Perceptics approaches listening, the term flexibility came up. And so I want to come back to that and, and autonomy. So with mentioning around these new demands of employees and you know making their employer be more aware of the concept and uh, availability of flexibility having more autonomy over how, when, and where we work. What are you seeing in your customers' decisions about remote or hybrid models? And have you done any specific research in this area? Yeah, we've done a lot of research in this area. And I would say this is another example of the dynamic we're seeing in terms of employee attitudes and expectations. And again, experiences vary widely based on employee-specific role and circumstances. So again, I'll say it again, there is no one-size-fits-all, but there are definitely trends that we are researching right now in the marketplace. And so for many employers, remote work has been really, I think, a welcome shift that's allowed them to have more control over their schedule and less distractions from the more social elements of being in the office, less time spent commuting, and in many cases, more time spent watching your child's afternoon soccer game, helping with homework, doing things along those lines. But for other employees, uh, the blurred lines between home and work have become a really challenge and have led to even more working hours and more burnout. And I would say women have been hit especially hard with these pressures, and it's led to significant burnout and higher numbers of women leaving the workforce. Uh, we continue to see headlines about how women's careers and mental health are impacted by caregiving responsibilities, and other types of unpaid needs that most often fall on them. And inside the workforce, women have been disproportionately impacted as well. They face increasing on-the-job exposure to COVID-19 viruses. Many essential jobs are in female-dominated fields, such as education, nursing, and other fields as well. So earlier this year, we took a look at this rising gender gap specifically. And our team surveyed more than 1,000 U.S. employees about their preferences about returning to a physical workspace. And comparing that data to what we collected in 2020, 48% of the females 
became less likely to want to return to the physical workplace office. And that contrasts with really only about 36% of males had a reduced likelihood to want to return to the office. So almost half of all females from 2020 to 2021 have changed their views and their desires and preferences about returning to the physical workplace environment. And with fewer women in the workforce overall and more women indicating that a preference for spending less time in the physical workplace, organizations are rightfully concerned about this gender parity and how to be thoughtful about the long-term impacts this is going to have on their return to office plans, including the likelihood that fewer women in the office could mean a greater bias towards things like promotions or compensation increases with potentially fewer women moving into senior management roles over time. So while remote work, I'd say, can be a positive option for many women, organizations will need to be really intentional in the development of processes for promotion, development opportunities, compensation, and other areas specifically. And what our research findings suggest is that a program that intends to provide opportunities can impede the growth of women within particular organizations. So in some of our more recent return to work research that we've done just back in September of this year, we found that equity was one of the most important factors in the willingness to go back to an office environment, especially for women of color. So women of color were 12% more likely to want to return to an in-person workplace if they believe that all employees are treated fairly. And this was noted as a key driver for that group, but it didn't impact other groups' desires to return to the office in the same way. And so we're seeing this new bias emerge, and one that's led our head of people analytics, Dr. Brett Wells, he's dubbed a new term called officism. And what Brett has defined this as is a negative attitude towards employees who continue to work remotely. And those with officism attitudes tend to believe that employees are not as productive when they're working remotely, that there's more career growth and development potentially found in the office, and that co-located managers, employees working together will have better relationships. So if these views persist, it can create long-term disadvantages for employees who want more flexibility in where, when, and, and how they do their work. And there also are generational considerations we have to keep in mind. Uh, our data has shown that the youngest employees, many of those who are just entering the workforce for the first time, they are more likely to want to be in the office even if it's not every day, even if it's in a hybrid approach. And there are some good reasons for this. And we know they are more likely to benefit from some of the informal nature of life, including access to managers, other mentors that can help them learn and onboard into a new organization successfully. But despite some of these larger trends, there is no substitute for having, again, these conversations with your employees and letting this data drive your decision making. It's got to be about what's best for your unique population and the business outcomes you're driving towards, and then ensuring that you have a strategy in place and that you continue to hear employee voices as conditions will no doubt change. Yeah. And you mentioned have strategies in place. And I, and I want to ask you what this is all going to mean for our leaders in our organizations, but I just want to back up just a moment because you hit some of the really key points even just in recent podcasts, but I love that 
and I didn't catch his last name, but Brett. Um, that Brett that, Wells. Yes. Brett Wells. Thank you. Yes, we we need to say it again because that term officeism. Oh, that's gonna be great. I mean, you talked about women and women staying home and fearing the lack of promotion because we're not in the office. Or like you said, that term of officeism, the negative attitude towards employees that are working remotely. You also talked about women of color. And I'll go back if there's going to be equity in the workforce. So you're hitting all of these really, really key points that organizations and our listeners need to be reminded of and and hear. And and like you said, very end there, come up with a strategy. How are we going to move this forward? But I want to ask you, though, I started all of that saying, what does this mean for our leaders? What do these shifts mean for our leaders? Yeah, and and I'll, I'll kind of say it again. I mean, more than ever before, managers need to be able to engage with their employees as individuals and really flex those muscles for empathy and that personal connection within their workforce. And in previous generations, you know, what allowed people to move into leadership positions was strictly their ability to produce. And while meeting business objectives is still necessary today and a, and a key part of it, now we have to bring our people along with us. We've got to lead with purpose, not simply by compliance or policies. And so I'd say leaders also have to recognize that this blending of our work and our personal lives is likely here to stay. And not only do leaders need to accommodate the change that's happening within our workplace, but they also need to recognize that employees have new pressures in other parts of their lives as well. And they may be struggling to integrate those pressures. And so we're all just one person and we show up as one person. And I think it's absolutely critical um, that we continue as as this burnout continues to increase, that we're recognizing the person as the individual, and that we're seeing this across all industries we face right now, and really understanding how do we address again that stemming tide of burnout that we see over and over again. So then, let me ask you, John, because I think you're bringing up a lot of really valid points of why organizations would begin to expand what we're calling the listening strategy. So tell our listeners then, um, what do they look for to expand that listening strategy? Or perhaps even would they look for a new partner to help them transform their program? What advice would you have for our listeners? Yeah, no, where I would start is I think one of the most important features organizations or things organizations should look for when they're thinking about a new survey provider is both a technology and a methodology that's flexible enough to allow them to get what they need out of the system as quickly as possible. And so rather than anyone pushing a specific methodology or approach or a one-size-fits-all solution, I would really encourage your listeners to look for organizations, look for providers that will act as that partner in your exploration. The vendor should be focused on providing the insights your organization needs to meet those objectives, not just trying to fit you into a box or fit you into the same template that other customers might be using. And again, we've been doing this for almost 20 years and seeing the impact of that approach and how important it is. And you know, today at Perceptics, we've got the unique privilege of working with uh, 30% of the Fortune 100 to build and run their core listening programs. And from that experience, what I can confidently tell you is that there is no one size fits all. Each of these listening programs that we design for these customers, they're all really unique. Uh, but we always begin these programs with an understanding of what are the challenges 
that you're currently facing? And what are the problems you're trying to solve for? And let's make sure that we understand your goals and objectives so that we can identify the best combination of questions and methodologies to give them the insights or looking to enable those leaders to make good database decisions about their people. And global organizations tend to have, again, very specific needs and very specific requirements. So making sure you have a partner that can understand those and flex those is going to be really, really critical. And not only the methodology and the questions, but also the technology, leveraging AI, leveraging NLP tools to take those responses and the multi-language responses and translate them, identify the themes, run the sentiment, parse those comments out for the insights you're looking for is a key part of that process as well. And then finally, I would say another critical element is the ability to integrate both the employee demographic data and the business performance data. I sometimes call this the marriage of the objective and the subjective, bringing those two sources together to enable the connection between the employee experience and the performance outcomes we're trying to help leaders understand how they're connected together and what is going to help or hinder the achievement of those particular goals and objectives. So the ability to link data across multiple survey programs, such as onboard, census, pulse, exit, crowdsource, uh, multi-rater development feedback, all of these sources, linking those together to enable us to understand employees' journey within the organization from start to finish and generate those insights well beyond what each of those methodologies can produce on their own. And that ability to customize that entire employee experience to match that unique culture, that unique brand of each organization, and then flexibly adapt those questions to the specifics of the culture, the region, the location. There's, again, so many unique things about each company we work with, but still provide those results in real time. It's critical because, as you said earlier, speed matters. We want to make sure we have speed to action, speed to insights. So doing those all in one swoop is important. And I think that's the areas I'd be looking for as I think about a survey provider and a, and a partner in this particular space. Yeah, and I think you really hit the nail on the head and you just said the term again now and what I really picked up on and as you laid it out, look for providers that act as partners. I think that really, and then you did such a great job laying out what does that mean? What does that mean in methodology? What does that mean in technology? What does that mean in integration? You did a really nice job mm -hmm. laying that out, but that partner, that's a great, great term there. So we've got time for one more question, if you're ready for us to start wrapping up here. Um, yes. Good. So as we look <laughs> ahead to 2022, what do you see in terms of future changes or trends in the Employee Insights Marketplace? I think this will be really useful for our listeners. Yeah, I think that inflection point I talked about earlier is just going to continue. And what I see is HR specifically is going to continue to become more and more data savvy and, quite frankly, more data dependent in the work that they do. And so this pandemic really, truly has been a people issue. And HR organizations specifically have, by necessity, become more focused on data patterns, whether that involves employee opinions and sentiment, hiring, exit patterns the impact of development on leaders and teams, we believe this data dependence will only continue and intensify. And, and look, HR has an enormous amount of data at its disposal. If we think about HRIS systems, succession, compensation, LMS, business performance, there's data everywhere. 
with access to HR. And so we see HR in the future looking for simple to use capabilities to bring all of this together into one platform that allows them to connect the dots and ultimately draw those conclusions to help leaders, senior leaders, everyone in the organization understand and plot the best course for the next action in that business. So really that data convergence and the reliance on data and continuing to elevate HR's ability to use data-driven insights to help inform the organization to, again, achieve those two critical outcomes we talked about before, which is a better people experience for every individual and greater organizational success for the organization overall, being those two critical outcomes that we see HR continuing to have a heavy, heavy influence on as we move forward. Yeah, and I'll just repeat that again, looking for data-driven insights or data. I don't know. I say data. You say data. Data. <laughs> data-driven insights and really looking for those two outcomes of the people experience and that organizational like success. And that's really driving us to our outcomes of our organization, whether we're looking at people or whether we're looking at dollars and cents. So that certainly makes sense. John, it was so nice to have you today. Again, I cannot thank you enough for sharing some of Perceptic's examples of companies that you've worked with. I think that's so useful for our listeners to hear some real life boots on the ground, what's been going on, what's changed over the last 18 plus months. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Well, thanks, Cindy, for inviting me on. And I, I love talking about this stuff and sharing more of the uh the things we get to do and the insights we get to gather. So I appreciate the time you've given me and uh, look forward to next time. Yeah, I can tell you're passionate about it as well as your company. So, so it's been great chatting with you. So thanks to our Nine to Thrive listeners. I will be back next week with a brand new episode. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in. Make it a great day.